billow through my windshield Oklahoma in my mirror Peaceful home of the highway It makes my mind go clear You know I could have been a banker or a lawyer Mama would have been so proud But I chose to have this highway and these 18 wheels To take me out of town It's yeah. Has anybody thrown ever thrown uh, thrown anything offensive at you? Yeah, yeah. I, um, one time in Reno, uh, a long time ago, I was um, I was there, uh, and my dad, my brother, and some friends came out. I was living in the San Francisco area at the time, and we went up on a ski trip, and I had a gig up in Reno at a at a brewery venue kind of place. And my dad's favorite song is this Jimmy Buffett tune called "The Pirate Looks at 40. So I learned it for him, and he was like, "Yeah, play that song." And we're just laid back, having a good time. And it was a pretty mellow bar. And I started playing the song, and this just insanely drunk guy at the bar just spins around with a handful of coasters, like probably 12 inches high, and just starts whipping them, just like off his hip, like frisbees. He's like, "Nobody plays Buffett but Buffett in this bar." And so, needless to say, he was. Um, pummeled and thrown out the door by the security but yeah it was it came out of nowhere it was such like this good vibe that all of a sudden i caught a coaster like right in the eye i'm like so um yeah we we thanked him on the first album in the liner notes of course you did because what else are you gonna do but thank you that's the only time i've ever had anything hurled at me luckily it was just cardboard just cardboard yeah Yeah, that's true the cardboard coasters right none of those fancy like you know granite no no no, i probably wouldn't be sitting here today (laughs) we are uh we're talking to uh to matt verba uh, on Acoustic Conversations this week, everybody. My name is Pete Wright, Matt Verba joining us here, and uh, Kurt Siffert, uh, host of Casa de Acoustic Conversations. <laughs> hey, guys. How you doing? Kurt, it's good to see you, brother. Um, Matt, uh, you're from Nashville now. Yes, that's where I'm from now. What, yeah, yeah you're, you, seem to be, <laughs> you, you seem to be from Upper a lot of places. now. Yeah, yeah. What's, uh, what, what's Nashville like for you? Why'd you actually end up moving to Nashville? It's great. Well, I, you know, I lived in Portland for a while before that, for about two and a half years, and um, I love it, the West. It was it was kind of a, a tough decision to head that way, um, but I'm kind of at the point now where I'm really, obviously, aggressively pursuing my own music um, and writing and playing and touring and putting out albums, and I also really wanted to get into sort of the publishing arena of music and writing and selling songs to other people, and that's kind of the place to be if you're going to do that. Um, so, it's yeah, I'm living in Nashville now, although I... I think I spend the vast majority of my time all over the place, but um, yeah, that's where my driver's license says I live. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> although, although, note you have a California phone number, and uh, people get really confused. Yeah, yeah they don't know what's up. going on, you know. And then they get even more confused when, like, the like media or something will try to get a hold of me for a show, say in Portland, and they're like, "Okay, wait, you're based out of Nashville." Um, and you have a California phone number, but the article is Hometown Boy Returns. Like, what is going on here? You... <laughs> it's like, okay, split personalities, anyone? <laughs> when, uh, when did you start taking music seriously as a career? I haven't yet. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, and that's it, everybody. Thank you for joining yeah, us. All right, good night. Uh, yeah. No, um, I, you know, I'd kind of been involved in music uh, through most of my life. My parents forced us into piano lessons when we were very young, and that was 
you know, anything. It doesn't matter how cool it is. It could be like, you know, eating birthday cake. If your parents force you to do it when you're seven years old, you're going to hate it. Yeah, all you want is spinach. Um, so, yeah, I used to hide behind the couch and the, or my scary piano teacher would drag me out by the foot. But So, yeah, I started doing that whole thing and then got into the band and played saxophone and trombone and then um, actually got into playing guitar because that's what all 12-year-old kids want to do when they're forced to play trombone. Um, so, yeah, I got into that and um, when I was about 12 or 13 and just kind of played for fun and, you know, just learned – the basics. Um, and then when I was in college, kind of picked it up again and really started experimenting with the instrument and goofing around with writing. Um, but when I moved to California in uh, about 2000, I really started kind of trying to pursue it like, hey, you know, I've got a handful of songs and I'm starting to sound better. And so I started pursuing some shows and just, you know, doing the open mic thing. Um, but about four years ago is when I really got serious about it and kind of, you know, put all the other jobs aside and really started pursuing it aggressively as a career move. I want to uh, I want to read some lyrics of yours. I was going to say, cool. Who are we going to read? Yeah, no. This is uh, <laughs> I'm going to do a little reading, and I would like you to to just sort of you know center yourself and really tell me where these lyrics come from. So you're going to put me on the spot a little bit, a little bit. Awesome. Does my mustache make you horny? Does my mullet turn you on? <laughs> is it the is it the Aerosmith cassette tapes or the Camaro that's parked in my front lawn? Discuss. It's moving, isn't it? <laughs> no, that's, that's not at all where I thought you were going to go. Um, <laughs> yes, that is the mustache song, which ironically, you know, every every like serious songwriter or anybody that think, thinks they're a serious songwriter, we've all got that one song that we wrote as a joke yeah. that inevitably is everyone's favorite. You can pour oh, your heart out for God, hundreds so of songs. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> but then you write that one funny song and everyone's like, hey, let's hear that. I'm like, what about the other 400 songs I've written that really mean something to me? But um, no, I work. I was working at a brewery in California, the real short version of this story. And uh, one February, which was really slow in the brewery, we were all bored. Um, so all the guys decided to have a mustache competition. So for the entire month of February, all the guys grew a mustache. You couldn't grow a beard and then like shave it. You had this just straight mustache the whole month. You've got to so, be serious about exactly. it. Exactly. Right. And so needless to say, it was very, very funny. Um, but the deal was at the last day of the month, February 28th, um, for those of you that don't know, February only has 28 days normally, um, we had a mustache competition. So all the female servers and bartenders and managers judged us and we had to perform something. Some people did like a comedy sketch. Some people read a poem all pertaining to mustaches. So that was what I wrote as a joke uh, for the mustache competition and – it wound up on a record. <laughs> well, on, it's, on a your, movie it's on your newest record, but that was the thing that I was so interested in. It was chosen for the, well, and of course, what other movie would this be in? But uh, the uh, Glorious Mustache, um, the Glorious Mustache Challenge released in January of 2007 at com. Yes, yes. Fantastic movie if you haven't seen it. It's actually really funny. Illustrious uh, beginnings for that song to be t- shown. It, a documentary. practically wrote the documentary about your song. Yeah, it. it um, I. I don't even know how they found me. They. I think like one of the producers was was shopping in in a sporting goods store or something in California, and a friend of mine worked there, and they were talking about their project they were working on, and they put us in the contact. Um, and so, yeah, it wound up in the film. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, I mean, Kurt, you you were talking about this. You fight this all the time. Why don't you ever play your funny song? Oh man, yeah. So my my funny song was called "I Have a Cold," and I wrote it one morning when I had a cold, and it was just a one off. And and so, like you know, I'm I'm very much a beginner. I have less than an album's worth of songs, but you know, I, I write these new things. And even this last time, the song that I released this last week, you know, one of the gals that I had dated in the past, she uh, she wrote me back. She said, "Well, you know, I, I like it, but my favorite song is still "I Have a Cold." And I'm like, God, that's <laughs> relegating. You to second I feel fiddle. your pain. Bro. That's right. <laughs> 
Well, in honor of of the mustache song, I'd like you not to play it. Thanks. You're welcome. That's great. But I was hoping maybe you could uh, kick off a little bit with a uh, with a tune. You have something? You'd like yeah, to sure. Um, I would love to. Uh, you want to hear? Should I do something new? Something off one of the records? Let's do something new. Let's okay. do something new. That'd be great. Cool. I will. Um, I will play a song. It's called Forever Bound. Um, I was um, on tour in Europe and wrote this one when I was over there um, last fall. Girl, I had no direction Didn't believe in perfection Till I saw you standing in the crowd that night You were beautiful and confident And at the moment our eyes met I went from giving up on love to love at first sight Later that night after the show You walked up and you said hello Stuck out your hand and right away I knew Since that day I'm a different man And I haven't let go of your hand Can't imagine tomorrow without you Cause they say that when you know, you know And I know you're the one for sure So pack your things tonight and we're leaving town Put this left hand ring on, honey The car's out in the drive We're running You and I forever bound Well, girl, I knew that first night But I waited till the time was right Took a deep breath I knocked on the door your daddy smiled and your mama cried Cause they saw that look in my eyes And they both knew their girl had found her boy Cause they say that when you know, you know And I know you're the one for sure So pack your things tonight and we'll leave in town Put this left hand ring on, honey The car's out in the drive We're running, you and I forever bound When you look into my eyes I can't say those three words I can't help can't help but smile Cause I know I'm not the only one That knows for sure Yeah And they say that when you know You know And I know you're the one for sure So pack your things tonight And we'll leave in town Put this left hand ring on, honey The car's out in the drive We're running You and I forever bound You and I forever bound You and I forever bound That's Matt Verba, Forever Bound? Yes. yes. Uh, and that is uh, as yet unrecorded. Correct. Correct. Beautiful. Well, no, actually, no, I think we just, that's what we just, just did, did right that? there. Well, we, we, yes, we just recorded that. <laughs> but before four minutes ago, in, it was unrecorded. <laughs> I'm totally stuck in Metaville right now. Uh, now, I, I'm not going to say by any stretch that I have heard all your music, but I've, I, I certainly have your three, you've got three albums, uh, Correct. three CDs out, right? The, the first one is uh, Everything in Between. Everywhere in Between. Everywhere yeah. in Between. I, I want to talk about where that, particularly where that one comes from. Uh, what I know is that apparently uh, in 2001, you walked 
from San Francisco to Virginia Beach? Yeah, I was bored. Can we talk a little? <laughs> can we talk about a little bit about what drives somebody on a trip like and, that? And where where was this like? You know, kind of in the progression of your music career. Too? Um, that's that's a great question, Kurt. Um, yeah, I had moved to San Francisco um, in 2000, in January of 2000, and up until that point, I had been working a lot of different marketing jobs where I had the, I got the freedom to travel. I was basically on the road all the time, and then I moved to California with the girl that I was dating at the time. And got a similar type of job, but it was it was kind of based out of the Bay Area. And it was, I mean, as far as like real jobs are concerned, a pretty awesome job. I had a lot of freedom. I worked from home. I got to travel. And I was still going nuts. Like I still couldn't stand it. So I think it's like common for people if they're working a job, just a horrible job that they hate, you know, whatever. It's kind of easy to go, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I've got to start pursuing something else. But when you're working like what I call like that sort of, B minus job that's really not that bad. Mm-hmm. I think that's really hard to kind of get out of that sometimes. And I saw myself kind of falling into that. So after about a year and a half of that, um, I'm like, I've got to do something now, or I'm going to look back like 10 years down the road and go, man, you know, this has been cool. I can't complain, but I wish I would have sort of done this. So I was getting a little antsy. Um, and I had done so much traveling for pleasure and for work. And throughout this whole time, I was starting to play more and more and, you know, play in some pubs and run some open mic nights and that sort of thing and get involved with the community. Uh, musically, and uh, I just kind of got this crazy idea, like I wanted to do something really big that, you know, most people would never even attempt, Um, and I just loved traveling, and it combined a lot of different things and the sense of adventure, and uh, I had done some work with um, a lot of marketing stuff and a lot of not-for-profit stuff, and I just kind of got this crazy idea. I'm like, wow, you can't just go on a road trip, traveling around the world, like, yeah. Been there, done that. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's like that's really not going to, I don't think... That's big enough for what I was thinking. And I, to be honest with you, I just, the idea kind of hit me. I was driving across the Golden Gate Bridge one day and I just, you typically like when you drive across that bridge, you just, you look west because there's the cliffs and the waves breaking. It's just, mm-hmm. it's magnetic. That's where everyone looks. For some reason, I was coming south into the city and I just sort of looked east and I'm like, I just, the idea just kind of hit me. I'm like, wow, that would be cool. I'm like, who does that? Who walks across America? And so I was completely obsessed with the idea at that point. And just started combining all these other things. Wound up hooking up with a not-for-profit organization to raise some awareness for them. Teach for America. Teach for, I was just going to say, what Teach for um, America is, what do they do? Um, Teach for America was started by a woman named Wendy Kopp um, probably about 10 years ago now. And what they do is they take teachers or college students, basically, that are going to pursue teaching. Some of them actually aren't even going to go into teaching. Um, and they place them into like low-income areas to teach for two years. So basically, they're offering these students in low-income areas that have overcrowded mm. classrooms, sorry, and you know, underqualified teachers, a really great teacher for two years. So people kind of volunteer their time and Teach for America, you know, takes care of them for two years. Um, and it's just a really neat organization. Both my parents were teachers. They're, you know, so... I have a very strong connection to that community and how unappreciated mm-hmm. <laughs> teachers are. So, um, yeah, it was just kind of a logical choice. And I had actually done some work with them before when I was working for doing marketing stuff. So I was familiar with how they worked and um, had some connections over there. So I just called them up and said, hey, I'm going to do this thing. Can we help you in any way? So we wound up raising you know, a ton of awareness, doing all kinds of newspaper and radio and press stuff and, and help them out quite a bit. Yeah. So yeah, it was cool. So, and, but I, oh, I'm go sorry. ahead. So you, I was going to say, leave. I was get, getting back to San the original Francisco, question. Right. Um, yeah, left San Francisco, and um, I had a guitar. We had a support vehicle, this old gutted out RV that was kind of shuttled <laughs> along the way by <laughs> friends very and good strangers. <laughs> no, it was, I mean, we say RV, people are like, oh, you were living nice. I'm like, no, you don't understand. There wasn't even beds in this thing. 
Um, it was basically just a place to keep all our junk because we had a website that we kept updated and I had, you know, my music stuff, guitars and that sort of thing. And obviously you're not carrying all that junk on your back. So we kind of, it was, it was our mobile storage unit is how I like to refer, refer to it as. Um, so yeah, I brought instruments with me and obviously, you know, with that kind of experience, um, this, the ideas started coming and most of the songs on the first record everywhere in between were written on the walk. Um, it took a couple years for that to actually come into fruition and become an album, but um, yeah, that's kind of where a lot of those songs came from. <clears throat> Can you talk a little bit about your uh, about your songwriting process? Like, how do, where do your songs come from? How uh, you know? How do you how do you get them out of here? It's I actually um, I've tried a million different ways, and it's a songwriting is so neat, as I'm sure you can attest to, Kurt. It's a uh, it's such a personal process, and everyone has a different way of doing it. Um, how I usually do it is I'll kind of go through life. I always have a pen and a notebook nearby. Um, or my favorite trick is leaving voicemails for yourself when you get a cool melody in your head. You, know, you call yourself. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, mine usually starts with an idea. And I, in order to like really write something that I'm happy with, and I'm always in the process of rewriting and tearing things apart, but I'll just put together a bunch of ideas and then sort of sit down when I'm feeling in that mood, inspired, I have the creative space, and then I'll just pull out all the ideas and start working on them. Very rarely do I, you know, get struck with an idea and just complete the song right there on the spot. It usually starts with a concept or even a line or a melody or something like that. Um, and then I'll just kind of hang on to it for a little while until I'm feeling like I'm in that space. And then I'll sit down and see if I can't make it into something. Do you feel like that your process has kind of, you know, changed over time, like, I mean, did you start doing it one way first and then, like, it evolved as time went on? Absolutely. And, you know, I expect it to keep changing and keep evolving. Um, starting off, uh, I used to always kind of get the lyrics and I would write lyrics and I would have, you know, pages and pages of lyrics and no music, you know. So that was how – and so I would struggle. I would sit there and look at this lyrical structure and try to, you know, put chords and melodies to it. And I struggled with that a lot. Um and kind of that was early on, kind of got out of that process. It's some, occasionally, I would get lucky and I would have, you know, a song completely lyrically composed without a single melodic idea in my head <laughs> and just happen to stumble on something. Or I'd just be noodling around on the guitar one day and go, oh, that would work with this set of lyrics. Where did I put that? You know, uh, that kind of thing. But that's to me, that became more and more difficult because a lot of the songs started sounding the same and I was struggling. So now I kind of just like to get the ideas and, and let them sort of become what they're going to become. So on this walk, I'm just curious. I mean, I've heard a lot about how they say that walking actually really helps with the creative process. I mean, were you like actually composing these songs in your head while you were walking? Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. um, it's so true. It really does. Uh, it's, I don't know, and it's good for music too because there's a certain rhythm to walking. Yeah. And um, I actually had to when we got into the studio with some of the songs uh, when I was working with the producer Adam Berkowitz. Uh, I brought him 30 or 40 songs and we kind of went through picking the ones that we wanted to be on the record. And we, we found that a lot of the songs had that sort of rhythmic walking pattern pace. of walking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we kind of had to change some tempos up and that That's sort of thing. Funny. But yeah, it really did. I, you know, I would come up with ideas and it, literally while walking, mm-hmm. I would have a notebook right in my backpack. And I mean, there was some things that I would write a verse and a chorus, like literally while I was walking down the street, um, you know, and that night or whatever, the next day I would sit down and have this kind of idea in my head and, um, I found that walking helped me more with the music end of it, um, like I said, because of that rhythm and sort of that melodic thing of, of walking. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's so much to absorb and certainly no shortage of creative ideas uh, and things to talk about when you're going through that huge experience. Just kind of curious, uh, like what general route did you take? 
Well, um, I tell people this that are familiar with how the United States is laid out, and they, they're like, what? Because it was, you know, that whole straightest, shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Uh, we did not do that at all, because if you draw a straight line from San Francisco to the West Coast, you wind up walking through the desert of Nevada for about a month and a half, um, which we did anyway, but because we were... <laughs> but at least we, we, we did we, it with intent, man. Right, well, we went south. We went. We were in California for a month before we even crossed the state line. Uh, the reason being was that because of the charity affiliation and part of my personal goals was just to meet as many people as we could and experience, you know, the different sort of microcultures inside America. And if you're walking through 600 miles of desert with not one town, you really can't do that. Um, it's beautiful out there, don't get me wrong, but we routed ourselves to go through as many major metropolitan areas as possible. And the best way to do that from San Francisco was to head south. So we headed south through Bakersfield, and then at Bakersfield is where we actually took a left turn and went east. So we came through, uh, we came through Vegas, Flagstaff, uh, Albuquerque, Oklahoma City, and then we kind of hung south through um, the whole of Arkansas, all the way through Tennessee, uh, Memphis, Nashville, and Knoxville, and then came through uh, North Carolina, like the very northern portion of North Carolina, and wound up in Virginia Beach. Wow, that's amazing. So y- you really walked the whole distance? Yes, Really, really walked. Yeah, and actually, because uh, of some get, wrong I turns, mean, we walked more than the whole distance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's smart it's when you make a wrong turn on foot. Yeah. That's, you uh, know, I'm also curious, like, uh, you know, just in terms of what it did to your perspective, you know, like as as a person and as a songwriter, I mean, like, uh, can you name, like, maybe a couple of things that you have thought about or how it's changed you, what you've written about in songwriting that you might not have gotten to if not for doing that? I think... Um, one of the biggest things that really was a switch in perspective for me is um, we discovered so many people that were just so kind and so generous and so amazing. And, you know, you hear it all the time. Most of what we hear, just sort of front page of the newspaper, click on the you know CNN for 10 minutes, is all the bad stuff. You know, and I know not everybody says this, but when you get out there and you really experience this, these situations where if you base all your actions and your emotions on, oh, this we shouldn't do this, this is going to be scary, I saw someone and, you know, the newspaper got murdered. For People are inherently good. Um, and it really just kind of, like, flip-flopped my whole perspective on that. And I really have a lot more trust for people. Um, and there was only, like, one or two experiences where we ran into someone that was kind of a jerk. But other than that, we were taken such good care of by all the people in this country. It was amazing. People went so far out of their ways just to help us out. And so it definitely gave me a more optimistic viewpoint to write from. Um, I think as a beginning songwriter, which is, you know, at that stage of the game, I was just kind of learning how to do it. For whatever reason, you write from kind of a pessimistic standpoint, or at least I did, because that's just, you know, you're kind of trying to figure out how to process ideas. And um, I found that really changed and became more of an optimistic thing. And I was able to kind of put that spin on certain songs and that's a really interesting transition. I think that it's one of those things you see, it's sort of the curse of the beginning songwriter, that that you see a lot of songwriters who are writing songs to process their own mojo and their own, you know, their own depression. So you get a lot of songs that come that, that you know, might as well go straight to a Depeche Mode album, right? You know, it's like, it's, it, but, but it's interesting how you, how you're able to turn that around and, and write songs that are more celebratory. Yeah. And it's, it's, even the ones that aren't, you know, celebratory, that's a great word, just from more of a, um, just a viewpoint instead of, you know, I, I, early on I found myself putting a negative spin on things when I was just trying to tell a story or report events. So even the ones that aren't like happy and upbeat, 
I was able to kind of write from a more objective standpoint and just go, okay, this is the picture that I'm going to paint. And I'm not going to judge of whether or not it's a negative situation or I'll let the listener do that. Um, so yeah, it really kind of helped me move in that direction, which was good because like you said, you nailed it. That's exactly how I was. I was like, oh, I'm in a bad mood or my heart's broken and I'm going to be, yeah, I should actually try to sell some of those songs to Depeche Mode. You probably should. <laughs> yeah. uh, why, don't you, uh, why don't you give us another song? Okay, uh, this is a. This is actually. I'll, I'm gonna play another newer one, but this is a, really in line with what we were talking about, um, about taking taking a situation, um, and which on paper may look like a really negative situation, and, and p- looking back and kind of putting a really positive um, uh, spin on it. been so long since I thought about you It's been ten years since I've been back around Past the park bench where you told me That you'd found somebody else Past the road I took that night straight out of town Well it got me back to thinking Three days straight when I drove and cried I was so sure that you'd be mine forever So sure I couldn't go on without you in my life But I never would have guessed it at the time Through all those nights of loneliness and crying Someday I would see You were the best thing That never happened to me I wound up in California I'd have kept running Thank God I ran out of road And day by day the sand and sunshine Filled that empty space in me And wave by wave It felt more and more like home But I never would have guessed it at the time Through all those nights of loneliness and crying Someday I would see You were the best thing That never happened to me I've got a son, I've got a wife Another city, another life So hard to remember The reasons that made me leave Three thousand miles thousand days at the time I thought you took it all away but now I see you were the best thing that never happened to me and I never would have guessed it at the time through all those nights of loneliness and crying oh 
someday I would see You were the best thing That never happened to me You just happened to be You never happened to me That's a great tune. Yeah, it's Thanks. very nice. That's Thank a you. Very nice. I'm loving that tagline. Yeah, is that the name of the song? Yeah, and I, you know the only thing that bugs me about the name of the song is like I like the way the tagline kind of hits you. You know the hook, right? And the I don't want to tell yeah. people ahead of time. I, yeah. That's why I didn't tell you. But. Yeah. So what is the name of the song? Officially? Well, the, the best thing is the name of the song. Okay. Um, but I've been known to change the names of songs like mm-hmm. 15 times before they actually make it onto a record. So. <laughs> so a song like that, where would that be in your process of, of determining whether that fits on your next uh, record? Um, you know, I, I, I tend to get caught up sometimes at the beginning of a process of going, all right, we need to kind of get songs that sound like this. And the next record, just what I've found and people's response to songs live, my favorite songs are usually the ones that people like the best. Uh, so, you know, instead of trying to go, oh, okay, this this fits here and that's a nice little box and a package, I'm just going to pick the songs that are people responding to that I enjoy, um, you know, and it's that's a nice thing about production is because if one song is sounds very, you know, sort of poppy with a little jazz kind of chord thing and another song is very kind of country, when you're producing an album, you know, that's where you kind of get your style incorporated into it and the sound of the whole record, so... Um, that's kind of, I'll worry about that when I get there, but that one will definitely be on the next record. I'm, I'm really liking that song a lot. It's a good one. Thank you. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more now about like uh, maybe your uh, professional development, kind of like more from a business perspective, you know, like what kind of were some of the steps that have happened between then and now from the point of, you know, you just writing your own songs and going and doing the open mic nights uh, to, to where you're at now? Well, um, for years when I was in California, I, I was working a, a, another job after I got back from the walk. Um, so I had income coming from another place and I just, I started, um, trying to just book things. I didn't know how to do it. I mean, it was just trial by fire. I didn't know what, you know, how to put together a press kit. I didn't have a website. Um, so I, uh, I figured I would just kind of go with what I know. Um, and so I had a lot of connections at ski resorts and breweries just because of friends that I worked with and I, you know, ski a lot. So I had a lot of friends that worked up at the resorts in the Tahoe area. So the first gigs that I started booking, like, you know, as a paid musician, we're just through friends. Um, and I found that that sort of, you know, it's, it's sort of a sort of a catch 22 because people want to see that you've played somewhere, but they don't want you to play unless you played somewhere, but you can't play somewhere unless you played somewhere. So you're like, okay, how do <laughs> right. I get started in this dang game? Right. Um, so that's kind of how I got my foot in the door. And then, you know, that kind of adds on to your resume. So oh, yeah, well, I played here and here and I did, you know, so many gigs last month. Um, but I was still working full time. So I wasn't really relying on that income. And then I went to, um, I got involved with a couple different organizations, and I went to a songwriting convention, um, which is part of a group called the Durango Songwriters Writers Convention, and they do some stuff, a um, couple conventions a year where they bring in a lot of hit songwriters and publishers, and uh, you spend a weekend um, doing seminars and classes and showcases, and it's just an awesome, awesome thing. And I decided to go do that, so I went to Colorado and went to that for a weekend, and there's only 300 people that are, you have to kind of get accepted into it. 
Um, so I went and did that. And this was uh, shortly after I'd finished the first album, which when I finished that, I didn't know what the heck I was going to do with it. I just wanted to make it. Um, so I was you know, playing locally in the Bay Area. But so I went to this thing and uh, was just surrounded for a weekend by like all these intensely inspired, just creative people with so much passion. And um, I really got fired up after that. So I came back to the Bay Area. That was in um, December of 04. Or no, October of 04 is when that convention was. And I came back to the Bay Area and I just was like, I'm going to try to book a little tour. I don't know how to do that. I don't. So I decided I, I was still working at that time and I took 10 days off work and I just decided I was going to go from San Francisco up to Vancouver, British Columbia and play like eight or 10 shows. And I, again, trial by fire, just started figuring it out as I went. And um, I did that tour by myself, a solo acoustic thing. And I, I got back from that. And I was like, that's it. That's what I got to do. It was so, you know, I was so had so much fun and was so into it and the response was great and just all the people that I met and um so I was sold at that point I got back from that tour and like an hour later went in and gave my two weeks notice at my job and, <laughs> oh that's uh, fantastic literally um yeah so then uh you know right then I just kind of decided to start doing it and got really really aggressive with booking and started getting some regular things and again broadening out I used a lot of the friend connections you know a lot of the places I live which we talked about before which I moved around because I love traveling and I love new places and there's so much awesome stuff to see in this country. But when I took that step to be a professional musician, I'm like, wow, that really helps because I Suddenly have like have nine hometown markets. Right. Um, so I started making those phone calls for people in Denver. Hey, I want to come to town and play. And so I would kind of go out on the road for a couple weeks and base those tours around areas where I knew, you know, I had connections and I could get shows and then try to fill in the blanks. And that's just <laughs> it's kind of kept on going. You know, I've Worked with a number of people over the years, booking agents and and management. I still do a lot of it myself. Um, I do have a booking agent that does a lot of stuff for me here on the West Coast. I've got a guy that I work with that does all my Europe stuff. Um, and I've got a guy that I'm going to be working, start working with this year based out of Atlanta who's going to be doing a lot of the stuff on the Eastern Seaboard. But I still do a lot of it on my own just because I've established those connections. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've, I have a lot of personal connections with people at venues and radio stations and press. And I I feel that those relationships would be jeopardized if one day all of a sudden they're dealing with you know some manager they've never talked to before because i can call them up and be like hey sean it's verbo what's going on hey how's how's the new baby what's happening i'm coming to town in six months can we you know it's just obviously at some point i'm going to need to relinquish a lot of that control but right now i'm clinging to it yeah (laughs) management people are like i'll take care of that i'm like no no that's fine i'll I'll make the call it's cool (laughs) (laughs) well it's interesting because now i mean at this point uh, how how many days are you on the road in a year it, it's obscene, right? I mean, the numbers I've been reading, it's, 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 yeah. obs- you're touring a lot. A lot. And it's, um, it's, you know, this year, since I moved to Nashville, I've kind of taken that down a little bit just because I'm trying to spend more time in Nashville. It's, you know, moving to Nashville would be pointless if I was only there four days a year. So it's going to be, and I say less, and that's laughable, but, um, yeah, I would say probably this year in 09, I would say roughly 120 to 140 shows, which means, 200 days on the road at least um so yeah i mean i just between the european trips you know i've got two european tours this year and um i'll be doing a west coast something i've always wanted to do and i'm really looking forward to it a west coast tour for the pretty much the entire month of july starting in san diego and going all the way to vancouver bc so it's literally just shooting the coast from mexico to canada um so i'm looking forward to that that'll be a fun one and but now at this point uh, it's Great. I would go nuts if I didn't go on the road because I have so many friends that are all over the country that 
I'd have to be a millionaire to go visit them all in one year, you know, but that's one of the fringe benefits is I get to see everybody and have all these little family networks all over the place. So it's great. I'm sure I'll get burnt out someday. But <laughs> Yeah. Uh, let's do, uh, I want to talk uh, about your experience uh, going to Europe and what that did for you as a professional musician, but uh, let's do another song uh, cool. before we come back to that. This is a song that I wrote about living in the, in the Bay area and it's called the bridge. Um, and it's kind of written about if, if for people that are not familiar with the Bay area, Oakland and San Francisco are directly across San Francisco Bay from each other. There, there's nothing in between them except the bridge and some water. And there could not be two more distinctly different cities in the world. In my opinion, San Francisco is very cosmopolitan, sort of an epicenter of food and culture. And Oakland is a very blue collar town. Um, really rough, a lot of crime, a lot of people struggling over there. And I always thought it was really weird that there's there's literally nothing but some space separating those two cities. Um, and so this is a song, an idea that I got a while back, um, and it's about a guy that works at the toll booth um, on the Oakland side of the bridge. My name is William James McQuinn My mama used to call me Billy But my ex-wife called me Jim I work the toll booth At the Bay Bridge Corridor I took the night shift Cause it pays Two dollars more Well I came here in 68 From Moscow, Idaho Chasing dreams of singing songs and running from the snow I got as far as Oakland Where I got hunkered down By the ghost of old Jack London And a girl named Leslie Brown And I dreamt of San Francisco Smoky concert halls I dreamt of music in the air And posters on the walls but I got caught up in living, oh, dying's what I did I've been dying now for 30 years and I've never crossed that bridge In my youthful lust I'd long for songs they'd cling to in the night but all's I got's this yellow booth and the Oakland shipyard lights. Well, I don't blame Les for leaving. I know she always wanted more than a tone booth operator and empty bottles on the floor. But I still play my guitar at dawn when I get home. But my music is destined to die like me, unheard and all alone. So it's back to work at midnight Hands out the window, single file Adding insult to my injuries Four dollars at a time Cause I dreamt of San Francisco Smoky concert halls I dreamt of music in the air And posters on the walls And I got caught up in living over Dying's what I did I've been dying now For 30 years and I I never crossed that bridge For 
For thirty years I've led them straight into the promised land I've had enough of sitting here and watching as they pass So if you see an empty tone booth tonight door swaying in the wind Just drive on by cause I've paid your toll and mine And I'm walking across that bridge Cause I still dream of San Francisco Smoky concert halls I dream of music in the air And posters on the walls And I got caught up in living Oh, and dying's what I did I've been dying now for 30 years But tonight I'm walking across that bridge and bridge Well, that leaves a nice handy lump in your throat. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you. How is your stuff received in Europe? I um had a lot of my friends that have toured over there have always talked about what a great response they get. Um because because uh, Hasselhoff did it well, and he's a huge influence on me. I don't know if you can tell that, but <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, okay, well, we're not going to touch that one. Um, a lot of my friends have been touring over there, and they just say, "Oh yeah, you know, the people in Europe love American music, any kind. I mean, just music from America, which I thought was weird because I didn't think they were all that fond of us." But um, so I wound up a very good friend of mine that's based out of Vancouver, BC, uh, Melanie Decker, who's a fantastic musician. Um, she's been touring over there for years. And with great success, and the response has been amazing. And so I wound up connecting with her agent, um, who wound up signing me up and signing me on to his um, his booking firm. Who and he exclusively does Europe stuff. Um, and so he works mostly in Northern Europe, Germany, Denmark, Holland, Belgium, Switzerland, Norway, um, and Sweden. Is where he kind of does a lot of stuff. And so yeah, I just kind of worked out a deal with him, and he sent me over there for about five weeks last fall. Um, and I was in, uh, primarily Germany and Denmark, but did some things in Holland and Belgium as well. And it was amazing. The response was incredible. I, I had a good feeling going into it when I, you know, got, got in the car for the first time over there and started driving and was just kind of scanning through the radio stations. Every single song I heard was from an American band or a British band. Hmm. No um, way. Yeah. And it just, I mean, all German radio, they're talking in German or, or Danish or whatever country you're in, but virtually every single song was in English. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Maybe this will translate all right. And uh, the first gig I did was uh, a place in Göttingen, Germany. And it was kind of a smaller pub. Like during the weeks, like Tuesday, Wednesday kind of shows, I would do like smaller pub type gigs. And then on the weekends, bigger venues and culture houses and things like that. And I walked into this pub and it was like something out of a German spoof. It was just Drunk guys everywhere with huge steins of beer. And it's like 7.30 at night on a Tuesday. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, they're going to hate me. Um, and so I just I got all set up or whatever and, and just kind of was soaking this all in and people falling over. I mean, it was the, it was in a college area of this town, so it kind of to be expected, I guess. But I'm not kidding you. I got up there and play. I just I hit one chord and the place went dead silent. Wow. It was unbelievable. Everywhere I played was like that. Just Total silence while you're playing, and then 
you know, clapping and yay and everything like that. And then you play and that would continue for pretty much the whole set. People would kind of whisper and talk a little bit. But as soon as I would take a set break, the volume level in the room would increase like a thousand times. Wow. People would party and have a good time. And then as soon as you start playing again, whoop, volume back down. And um, they loved it. Yeah, it went over like 10 times better than I thought it was going to. So wow. um, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was great. And no one threw coasters at me, which was <laughs> awesome. Um you, but, you sort of wonder, like, what uh, the, where that question came from. I, I sort of wonder what the European audience would do with your music. Uh, and it sort of goes back to, to uh, you know, we were talking about you've got these three CDs out so far. And when I listen to them in order, I can, I, I have a very difficult time classifying your music. You know, it seems kind to, of been a curse and a blessing for me. Um, yeah, it's uh, people, you know, always ask you to. I was doing a radio thing a while back and they said, so, you know, they said the same thing that you said almost exactly. Yeah. Well, we have all three of your albums and are you, are you rock? Are you country? Are you pop? Are you folk? And the best answer to that question is yes. <laughs> you know, E, all the above. Yeah. Um, I've definitely, um, you know, if I have to classify it, I always classify it as Americana because to me, it just kind of falls in the genre of storytelling, but, you know, kind of some some groove going on with a little pop kind of influence. Just You say pop and people think like Britney Spears. Right. All pop down. means it's popular, yeah. like right. just sort of easy on the ear. You don't have to be, you know, a genius or a classical music lover to get into it. Um, I hesitate to say the word country music because people automatically think, you know, yeehaw, all right. But um, from a writing standpoint, I very much am a, that kind of a songwriter. Um and I like a lot of country music, so that you you kind of get that influence a lot of out of the, some of the stuff. And uh, I call it what you want, you know. It's like, what was it? I forget who said. It. I think it was Willie Nelson. There's only two kinds of music: good music and bad music. <laughs> so it's it's funny, I, you know, because I I'm I, I'm going through your music. I'm listening to uh, listening along, and I'm thinking, you know, you've got a really cool sort of Jacko Pierce vibe on one side, and then suddenly I get to Day I Died, and uh, it's it's about as I was drunk the day my mom got out of prison, sort of vibe as I could muster. I mean that that is a it's a fantastic tune uh, that uh, uh, really hit me out of out of nowhere from the countryside of things. Yeah, that was a fun one because that was actually one of the ones that I um, I started to write on the, on the walk. It didn't make it to an album until five years later, but um, on the walk uh, I had this was you know long before everyone had an iPod. And uh, so I listened to the radio a lot, just, you know, headphones and, you know, when middle of Arizona, New Mexico, it was a lot of country stations. So I started listening to a lot of country music because that's, you know, all I could get in. And so I kind of had that kind of thing crawling around in my brain. And I was talking to uh, my cousin and he was complaining. He had had a bunch of really bad stuff happen. And I did that, said that stupid thing that people always say, oh, listen, man, it's going to be all right. It could be worse. And as the words came out of my mouth, I'm thinking, actually, I've never heard of a worse situation than this before. You know, and he's like, how, how could it be worse? And so I, in order to make him feel better, I crafted like, it's called the day I died. I'm, you know, I'm thinking, all right, what could possibly be a worse day? Well, the day that you died. And so I sort of created this funny story, which sort of uses a lot of the country cliches that I'd been, you know, embedded into my brain at that time. So it's clearly supposed to be a joke. Um, and I just thought, well, if you're going to kind of do a song like that, that's supposed to be entertaining and funny about a certain style of music and a certain thing, you might as well do it in that style of music. So, and that's a huge, that's a crowd. People love that song. That's one of our, you know, most popular and well-responded to songs when we play live. Um, so it's fun. I feel like I need to play it now. (laughs) 
this morning I was sitting on my porch Having myself a beer and feeling fine I was waving at the mailman I was kissing all the babies When all of a sudden I just died They say bad things happen to threes But I'm dang up to my knees In a swimming pool of misfortune and wrong As if me just passing away Wasn't enough to ruin my day I had enough bad things to make into the song Now mister don't sit and bitch When your life goes in the ditch Thinking nothing pretty's gonna come today Remember nothing's worse than your last ride in the big black hearse When your family is smiling all the way yeah. over and fell down my cigarette Well it hit the ground and it burned my house right on up Well the ambulance came flying over But it squished my poor dog Rover Ran into my brand new pickup truck And when the fireman sipped through my yard He found my brand new MasterCard He got down and thanked the Lord upon his knees Then he charged himself a boat and a truck so he could tow it And he took my wife sailing in the keys Now mister don't sit and miss When your life goes in the ditch Thinking nothing pretty's gonna come today Remember nothing's worse than your last ride The big black hearse When your family is smiling all the way hey, yeah. There we go. A lot better with the the, the the ripping guitar solos in those downtimes. Imagine lead guitar. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you said that. I I was listening to um, uh, to or reading some reviews, some past reviews of of your stuff, and they almost always say when you you, you know it's a real treat to get Verba solo uh, or, or to watch him solo because he often um, hides his talent on the instrument behind the band or behind uh humor or sentimentality whatever uh but in general the music community is extremely complimentary of your savvy on the instrument that's great i um that wow that's awesome i yeah i'm you know never people are like well what are you singer songwriter i always put guitar player last on that list i'm like yeah singer songwriter and, and I play the guitar a little, you know, but that, yeah, it's, um, it's kind of funny because starting off, um, when I first started doing it and started, you know, playing those gigs, like I was saying at the brew pubs and the open mics and the ski resorts, um, basically for financial reasons, you, you play solo, you know, I couldn't afford to pay anybody and I really didn't know what I was doing. So I don't want to bring other people into that mix. And you learn to really fill space when you're playing by yourself. Um, and just kind of be as big as you can. And so I kind of developed a style of guitar playing from those years doing that. Um, so I tend to be a very busy guitar player and I tend to make a lot of noise. Um, and so people are always like, wow, that's just one guitar. Um, but yeah, I mean, technically I'm, I'm not fancy at all, but that's, uh, that's the guys in the band are just amazing. And I, I, I do not that I hide behind them. Sometimes they're just, I mean, they're all so amazing. And I've been really, really fortunate. All the people that I played with over the years, um, so it's always a treat to play with those guys. And, uh, 
yeah, as far as, you know, musician talent, um, I'll, I'll always step back and let them have a good time because I could listen to them play all day, even without me. <laughs> how do you, uh, how do you decide who you want to, uh, who you want to hook up with on the road, who you want to tour with, who you want to play with? I'm watching some YouTube videos of, of you and I see, you know, Misty Odell in the background, you, you went on a tour with her. And, yeah. I mean, you've, you've toured with some amazing people, amazingly talented people. Um, how do you end up figuring that out? I um for me it, even with with band members and just any level of anyone that I work with or travel with tour with uh for me it's just about like kind of a good vibe I mean is it are they a cool person I don't care how good somebody is or how bad like I just kind of have to gel with them and I feel like the people that I've traveled with have been people that I've played with before like Misty and I had never met before and I was uh in Denver doing um a show out there and I had a booking agent that I was working with in that area and she put me on a bill with this this girl, Melissa Ivy, her CD release party. And then Misty was one of the other opening acts. And I met her at that. I heard her music. She heard mine. And we just kind of started talking after the show and just totally hit it off and became like instant good friends. And she had been toying around with the idea of doing a big sort of national tour. And so had I, because I had done primarily regional stuff at that point. And um, it was just kind of a logical thing there. I, I like to, when I do tours like that with other artists, especially when it's a solo acoustic kind of tour, um, I think it's really important that you don't get two people that sound exactly like each other because, I mean, you're doing shows that are three hours long. You know, you play for an hour and 20, I'll play for an hour and 20. People don't want two different people up there that sound exactly the same. You got to kind of spice it up. But then again, you need someone that is not so distinctly different um, that people are going to go, what the heck? Well, I like that, but I hated that. So it's it's kind of um, how I like to think of it is, first of all, cool people. Second of all, as a listener. What I like both of those styles of music. Um, and that's kind of, you know, people that I've toured with, uh, Pat Jordan, and, you know, obviously Misty, and um, members of my band, same kind of thing. Um, that's kind of how I usually look at it. And I've been really fortunate just to hook up with some great people, super talented, super nice, wonderful, wonderful people. So hopefully that luck will continue. <laughs> so I'm curious, like, uh, you know, every, every, it seems like every episode we talk about a little bit about like what each musician's definition of musical success is, and and it sounds you know that you're you're living pretty much your idea of musical success already. But what uh, what would you say your goals are? How how has your philosophy about that like changed over time? Um, where would you like to be? You know, moving this in the future too. Um, okay, mom. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Kurt. That's a great question. Um, that's, that's, it is a job. That's right. <laughs> what are you going to do? What do you see your yourself life? in five years? Right, right? Right. What I'm going to say? Living in a van. Um, no, I already did that. Uh, yeah, no, that's an awesome question. I think it's interesting because I ask other musicians that all the time, just because I'm always trying to get you know and figure out what other musicians are up to and how they're going about it. And I really feel like it's a big community, and we all need to be helping each other out. But um, you know, I I would love to. My biggest thing is. Again, sort of a catch-22, in order to work with different uh, independent labels and bigger management companies and, and bigger booking companies, you need to have a certain level of experience and a certain level of you know credibility, I guess. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. I would love to relinquish a lot of the business. You know, I'm tired of sending out press releases. And um, so just to get some help on that end, I would love to uh, to get to the point, you know, and it's definitely moving in that direction and probably will be in the next two or three years where I can just be the artist and the sort of the face person and still make the phone calls to the people that I know and have relationships with. But a lot of the, the tedium of the day-to-day stuff, I would, you know, I don't mind doing, I feel very fortunate to be able to do what I do. Um, but I would love to have a little more downtime and, <laughs> you know, let somebody else book the plane tickets in the rental cars for once. <laughs> that's, uh, 
that's pretty much it, you know, and just be able to have control of your schedule. And I think that's what every musician is shooting for. Um, you know, get rich in the process. Sure. Whatever. But I'm certainly not one of those people with stars in their eyes going, Oh yeah, I'm going to be the next American Idol, man. <laughs> um, yeah, it's going, it's moving in the right direction. It's, you know, it's going that way. So it's, it's great. It's just keep working hard and staying focused. And I hear so many musicians. Yeah. I just got burnt out. I quit. And I just, I can't even imagine that. So I, I guess I have the right mentality. <laughs> it's got to be a good sign. I made it for the long haul. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's a funny, funny industry because right when you feel like things aren't going anywhere and you're going through these, you know, these lows where nothing, everything's falling apart and you can't write, you got creative writer's block, whatever. It just, it seems like, boom, everything will flip around and all of a sudden everything starts going great. And so it's, it's a lot of ups and downs, but um, at this point, because I've been doing it for, you know, a while now, even the downtimes, you can find solace and, and, and peace and just be happy because you know it's going to come back around. At the beginning, it's really rough. You know, when you have two or three months that you're really struggling, you're like, this is it. This is the end. Oh, I'm going to get a job at Pizza Hut. Um, but uh, yeah, now I can kind of have a little bit more peace because it always comes around and, you know, the good things always happen. People, a lot of people in this industry are flaky, so they just kind of take a while to uh, to get back and to respond to things. And then, boy, when they do, it's it's on, so... Yeah. Well, that was a really long-winded answer to that question. <laughs> but it was a good one. Okay. It was good. You know, I might listen to that answer a couple of times. Just, you know, again You can do a Cliff Notes version of it for the other people <laughs> that come into the show. <laughs> That's good. Uh, we have been sitting here uh, talking with uh, the illustrious uh, uh, Matt Verba uh, up in Portland from Nashville on a whirlwind tour. Uh, right, little tour. It kind of never to, stops. Yeah, yeah it kind of never stops, right? But uh, uh, for those who haven't ever heard of Matt Verba, you can find him at mattverba.com. Yeah, just about everywhere. Which takes you to your, his MySpace page. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, the website's I mean, really, under construction right now. Really but. easy to easy to track down if you just remember that VRBA. Uh, really, really appreciate you joining Thank us. Thank you guys uh, so much for having me. This has been a treat. I, I really appreciate you guys having me in. Well, it's it's a, a real honor for us, uh, and uh, I'm hoping maybe you'll do uh, another song for us to play us out. Sure. All right, we'll wrap it up with the cover song. I don't normally do a lot of cover tunes, but um, this one uh, is one of my favorite songs, and I kind of put a new spin on it. So, not to mention it's fairly appropriate. <laughs> Lord, I was born a rambling man, trying to make a living and doing the best I can. When it's time for leaving, I hope you'll understand that I was born a rambling man. My father was a gambler down in Georgia. He wound up on the wrong end of a gun. I was born in the backseat of a Greyhound bus Rolling down Highway 41 Lord, I was born a rambling man Trying to make a living and doing the best I can When it's time for leaving I hope you'll understand I was born a rambling man I'm on my way to New Orleans this morning Leaving out of Nashville, Tennessee 
Always having a good time down on the bayou. Them Delta women thank the world of me. Lord, I was born a rambling man, trying to make a living and doing the best I can. When it's time for leaving, I hope you'll understand. I was born a rambling man. When it's time for leaving, I hope you'll understand. I was born a rambling man. Acoustic Conversations, everybody. Thanks for listening. With on behalf of Matt Verva, Kurt Sifford. Uh, please follow us uh, on the show, AcousticConversations.com. Subscribe to the show in iTunes. Join our Facebook group. Uh, you Facebook people are awesome. Uh, you know, keep Facebooking. And is there anything else I'm missing? Up I think we're good. I think we're good. Uh, Twitter.com slash AC Convo. There was. Oh, yeah, boy, I missed out. out. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Q Dancing Girls. Something smoking to take me out of town. Oh, take me out of town. No, I've got to run to Reno. The radio's up and the window's down. Nothing in this world that takes me higher They're heading out of town Oh, take me out of town Take me out of town Oh, take me out of town Take me out of town